Do you subscribe to the local newspaper? I don't know how many of you do. Newspaper circulation is way down. Fewer and fewer people are taking the paper these days because there's lots of other news sources that are more readily available to us. But the newspaper's still out there, and people still do. If you get the newspaper, we do at our house because Cindy's quite devoted to reading the newspaper. I could do without it, but Cindy wants the newspaper because she tells me that there are good ads in the paper and that that the ads, being advised of the sales and the things for sale and the specials in the newspaper, more than pays for the cost of the subscription. And that may be the case. Our little newspaper here in Columbia, if you subscribe to it, you know that on Monday and Tuesday, there's almost no paper at all. It's just, just a very few pages. But on Sunday, the thing is pretty big and thick. But it's not because there's more news in there. It's because there's lots of ads. There's lots of advertisements. They're selling stuff. And they want you to buy. Obviously, the purpose of putting advertisements in the paper is to try and motivate people to buy what's being advertised. Some of the things that are advertised there are rather small, pretty insignificant, don't cost very much money, probably won't last very long either. But in the newspaper, you'll find some things being advertised there that are bigger, and that cost more are of greater value and hopefully will last longer. For instance, in some part of the paper, you'll find uh, advertisements for automobiles for sale. Obviously, much more expensive, and we certainly hope they will last for a while. Or you can also find there uh, information about homes that are for sale, houses. You could buy a house, and hopefully it'll last a long, long time, but it costs a lot of money. But the whole idea is you have to make a decision. And that's the idea of the advertisements, to try and motivate you to make a decision to buy this particular thing. That's what they're trying to get you to do. And so a lot of effort there to get you to buy. Well, this morning we want to talk about buying something, investing in something, making a purchase, a decision in favor of a certain thing, but it doesn't have, doesn't have anything to do with the material things that are for sale in the newspaper today. It has to do with the truth that comes from God. And as a basis for our study today, we're going to use the expression found in Proverbs chapter 23, at verse 23, buy the truth and sell it not. We want to draw some lessons from that very simple expression that will hopefully motivate us toward important spiritual things. Before we get into that study, let us stop to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who's present. We appreciate you and, and certainly Look forward to our time that we can be together, spend time together in worship and Bible study. It's a, it's a great benefit to us, and we definitely hope that God will be pleased by everything that we do. As we engage in this study, please follow along carefully. Make sure that the scriptures that are used are used accurately. If there's a problem, uh, if you disagree or if you have any misunderstanding of anything that is said, please say so, so we can straighten that out. We believe that it's very important to handle a right or handle correctly, properly divide the word of truth, and we want to do that. So if you have any questions, please ask. Thanks for those of you who are visiting with us also, by the way. We're glad that you are here and hope you'll come back. Buy the truth and sell it not. What can, what can we draw from that very simple expression? Well, first of all, I think we could conclude that clearly if we're to buy the truth, there must be something that can be identified as truth. There is such a thing as truth. You know, people in general these days have begun to think that there is nothing that is definitely true. Uh, That 
truth is more of a relative thing, and it's, it's determined more based upon your circumstances or the situation that you find yourself in, that will determine what's right for that moment. A lot of people have that idea. Of course, you understand that that concept, when, when a name is put to it, it's called situation ethics. What's ethical, what's right, what's true is determined by your situation. Now think about that for a minute. If, if, if I were such a person who believed that truth was a relative thing, I would say that generally speaking, and as a, a good rule of thumb, I shouldn't steal your wallet. Now, generally speaking, I shouldn't steal your wallet. But if I'm under particularly tough circumstances, if I'm hungry, or if my children are hungry, if I'm experiencing some really bad times, it might be okay under those circumstances to steal your wallet. Because it's relative. There's no hard and fast. There's no black and white. There's no absolute right and wrong. It's all determined by the situation. Now, do you agree that there would be circumstances where it could be justified to steal your wallet? I think not, right? That, that doesn't work. But for some reason, people have developed that idea in general and in specific toward religion. They've come to this pretty firm conclusion that there isn't anything absolutely right and wrong do what you want to do. Uh, you know, uh, however you feel about it, do it. And, and somehow or another, we're to, to say, to believe that God will accept that. The scriptures disagree with all of that relativism, situationalism. The Bible says there is such a thing as truth. In John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus was speaking to his apostles. This is shortly before he was to be arrested and crucified. And he said, howbeit he, the Spirit of truth, when He has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. You know this verse, and we've emphasized it before, but it's very important to point out that Jesus said the Spirit of truth would come upon the apostles, and He would guide them to all truth. All of the truth would be made known to the apostles. Now think about that. I mean, if, if all truth was made known then, and we're talking about on the order of 2,000 years ago, then, then there's a body of fact and evidence out there that has been sustained. It's truth. The Spirit led them into truth. They wrote it down for us. We can read and know the truth of God. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus was praying. He was praying again just before he would be arrested. He was praying about his apostles here specifically. He said to God, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. And so for everybody who says, well, you just can't be real sure about it. Uh, it's not definite. It's not absolute. The words of Jesus deny that, don't they? He said that his, that the Spirit would come and guide the apostles into to all truth, that they would be sanctified through the Word of God, which is the truth. And in John chapter 8, verse 32, he said to the Jews, and it will be applicable to us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Being able to be free from sin, free from the awful consequences of our wrongs, depends on us being able to identify and know what the truth is. If there isn't any truth, then we're in trouble because Jesus said the truth was what would make us free. The freedom there he's talking about is the freedom from sin and its consequences. But if knowing the truth is essential to be able to make 
free from sin and sin's consequences, then it's very critical for us to be able to identify what the truth is. And so, the first thing that we want to point out is, from that expression in Proverbs 23, buy the truth and sell it not, there is such a thing as truth. Unfortunately, many people deny that, but it is certainly so. Closely associated with that, note that it is the truth. There's such a thing as truth, and it's called the truth. Now, for those of you like me who struggled with English grammar in school, uh, just a little bit of grammatical background here. I don't think I knew this in school. I think I've learned it since. There is such a thing called a definite article. You know what the definite article is? It's that word, the. Now, an indefinite article would be A, right? So this says, it doesn't say by a truth. If it said by a truth, then that would mean that there's lots of them out there that you can choose between. It'd be sort of like saying, Buy a car. Well, there's lots of cars. You can choose, you know, thousands of different kinds out there. What do you want? Pick one. Any of them will do. If, if you just have to buy a car, but I said buy the car that's in that advertisement, then I'd be, I'd be narrowing that down specifically to the one identified, right? Now, again, in grammar, that's called the difference between a definite article, and an indefinite article. And here we have the definite article, the. And so when it says it is the truth, then we understand that there's only one. It's singular. There's only one and no others fit the bill. In lots of different areas, we, we, we insist upon that kind of singularity. It has to be right, and there's only one answer to it. Uh, we, we do that in fields like Math and science. For that matter, we even, when we go to the store, you go to the store and you bring an item to the cash register and they ring it up and you give them a $20 bill. Maybe, maybe the total comes to $10.56 and you give them a $20 bill. Now, the cashier is expected to give you ch- Gives you three. What would you do? She said, I gave you change. I gave you some change. I gave you a bit of change. No, I want the right change, right? There's a, there's a correct answer to that question. $20 minus the 10.56 that I, that I spent for this item means that I should get, what, $9.44. And that's what I want. And I'm not going to be happy if some, for some reason or another, that kid thinks that she doesn't have to give me the exact change. Well, when it comes to religion, we need to understand that there is a right answer. There is the truth. As we said earlier, it's not just subjective or situational or circumstantial. It is the truth. It has been identified by God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, you know this expression, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus identifies himself as the truth. And, of course, when we identify Jesus as the truth, then that also incorporates everything that he taught and that he authorized his disciples to teach. This is the truth. What about other ways? You know, a lot of people in the world today are Muslims. They follow the religion of Islam. Well, is that just a different way? Is that, is that okay? No, it's not okay. 
Because there's just one way to the Father. There's just one truth that leads to the Father. It's Jesus. It's through Him only. Can we approach the Father? There's a lot of confusion in the religious world. Uh, not just between things like Christianity versus Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, but even among those who identify as Christians, there's just lots of confusion. Problem. The problem is that, that people haven't locked in on the fact that there is an exclusive singular truth from God. It is the truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, it's God's not the author of confusion, peace, as in all the churches of the saints is not the author of confusion. The fact that there's a lot of confusion in the religious world, even among people who call themselves Christian, confusion, that's not from God. That's from men. The reason why is because men have not acknowledged the singular truth of one God. The singular truth, the singular truth of God has given us. Uh, the truth, as we're speaking about this morning. All right, by the truth. There is truth. By the truth, it's singular. There's only one. What else could we say? In Proverbs 23, 23. Well, in order to have the truth, we have to buy it. Uh, and, and that suggests making a sacrifice, making an investment, choosing for something, and then pursuing it. We have to buy the truth. I suggested to you earlier that when you pick up today's newspapers, you, you're going to see a lot of ads for things for sale. Now, for everything that you might choose to buy, whether it's very expensive or relatively inexpensive, for everything you choose to buy, you're actually saying, I will forego something else in order to have that. I will sacrifice getting that to get this. You're making a choice. Now, some things in the paper won't appeal to you at all, but other things might catch your attention, and maybe you, you have to think about that for a minute. For instance, when I pick up in the paper today, if I do, and I see that... Uh, one of the department stores has dresses for sale. Well, I'm not much motivated about that. <laughs> but, in another part of the newspaper, they're going to have fishing poles for sale. Oh, wait a minute. That might get my attention, you know, because that's something that, that's, that, that is of value to me, something I want, something that I can use. And so I might decide to spend my money for the fishing rod, but if I do then I won't be able to spend that money on something else, and I have to make a decision, right? I have to invest in that. I have to sacrifice in order to have that fishing pole. Well, what about this? That's the same principle we're talking about here. When it says, buy the truth, to buy it, therefore we have to sacrifice in order to have it. We have to invest in it. A choice has to be made. Of course, the choice to serve the Lord, the choice to follow after the truth which He has revealed is a significant one many times and even recently about those first Christians in the book of Acts and about the tremendous price they paid in order to be a faithful child of God. In Acts chapter 4, beginning verse 19, Peter and John answered and said unto them, the Jewish council, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. This was the first hint of persecution that was going to come upon these new Christians. But it's clear as this per persecution began to to escalate that Peter and John, and of course we would say the same about others of the same era, they were fully invested in the truth about Jesus Christ. They said, even in the presence of this threatening council, 
The same council that had caused Jesus to be crucified on the cross. In the presence of that council, they said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were invested in it. They sacrificed for it. In the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 40, when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They'd bought into it. Do you see that? And they were willing to sacrifice. They were even willing to sacrifice their lives. Here's the first physical persecution that came upon Christians. They got beaten for the fact that they were preaching about Jesus. What'd they do? They just shut up and go, go away? No. It says they continued preaching. They even rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. They were really willing to pay that price. In Acts 8, verse 1, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Change the, change the geography here for a minute. And say there's a great persecution against the church in Columbia, Tennessee. And so what happens? We have to scatter. We have to leave Murray County and Middle Tennessee. And so what are you going to do? There's a strong persecution right here, right now. So strong that you are forced to flee from your homes and leave the immediate area. What are you going to do? In fact, the persecution is so great that some are being committed to prison. Christians are going to prison. If they identify you as one, you might go to prison too. What are you going to do? You've had to give up home. You've had to give up your home and, and, and your relation, local relationships. You've had to flee from the immediate community. Some of the people you know have been thrown in prison. Now, stop there for a minute and think. Does that, that just seems like a fairy tale, doesn't it? That could never happen. Are you kidding me? There's no way that would ever happen. It has happened, right? And what are those Christians who are in that situation? What would we do? Well, I'm I'm getting out of here, but I'm I'm going under I'm going underground. I'm I'm giving this I'm I'm getting off the I'm going to suffer that kind of persecution. Is that what the but it says they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They didn't stop proclaiming the message of Christ. Would you agree with me that these people had really bought into the truth about Jesus? They bought it and they sacrificed for it. They were their lives for it. And that's what we're called upon to do. If you want the truth, we said there is truth. It is singular in nature. It is the truth. You've got to buy it. You've got to sacrifice to have it. You've got to be invested in it. Even to the point that if it cost you your life, you'd be willing to lay it at that level. That's what it takes to be right with God. We should also, from this expression, and we're basing all our simple expression, buy the truth and sell it not. Notice the last part not. That implies that truth can be forfeited. You can give it up. Truth can be forfeited. Very precious. What do you do with it? Well, you have to protect it, right? You, you uh, lock it up. You, you, you make certain security precautions because what you're worried is if you have something of value, someone could come and steal it from you. Unfortunately, uh, thievery is up in our uh, all, all of the crime reporting suggests that more and more people as the economy's gotten worse 
more and, more, more and more people are stealing things. And so if you've got something of value, you're going to have to certainly take measures to protect it. can't be stolen. thing of great value that we've been talking about, the truth of God, cannot be stolen from you. No one can take it. So you don't have to worry about that. What you have to worry about is that you might give it up carefully. Buy the truth and sell it not. Don't give it up. Don't voluntarily... Go. You've got the thing of greatest value here. Keep it. Don't sell it. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul described a situation that developed in Jerusalem. And there were some false teachers that confronted Paul in Jerusalem. And to toward those false teachers, he said, To whom we gave place by subjection, know not for an hour that the truth might continue. Paul saw the truth as so valuable that he wouldn't tolerate these false not for a moment. He wouldn't put up with it. Important. And so again, you couldn't you couldn't have the truth stolen from you, but you might surrender it. And Paul was of the mindset he wouldn't surrender it. Not at all. Unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people in our day and time, and even some of our own brethren, who to give up or uh, sell away the truth that they have. Uh, sort of a spirit of compromise has become very prevalent. And unfortunately, as, as I said, I think we see evidence of some and after 1 verse 10, Paul said, Do I now persuade men out, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the Paul not of a mind to compromise. Understood important the truth of God was. Truth can be forfeited. You could make a decision. The Proverbs 23, by the truth and not. One final observation here from this statement is closely associated with the one we just made. And that is, truth can be lost after having been gained. Think about that for a minute. Uh, as we are saying, the truth of God in it, but, but it, and even obeyed the truth, and previously made the truth, you, after having, in the text that Mark read from Galatians, Peter was come to Antioch, I was stood because he was blamed, and then he went on to describe see that Peter and some others were guilty. The information that episode, the specific issue at point, is critical to what we're talking about here. But I want you to notice, here's Peter. Peter, an apostle, and a number of others, including Barnabas, and they weren't walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. I'll tell you, if the apostle Peter could veer off, any of us certainly could. If Barnabas could miss it and go the wrong way, any of us could. Or it's very important for us not for the truth, we've got the truth, not 
to take it from us. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, that old foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? He was writing to Christians, right? And he said somebody had led them astray, and now there was the danger that they were not obeying the truth. So that, I trace the point here. The truth can be forfeited, and even for us who've known the truth, we can lose the truth even after we've gained and, and benefited from knowing what the truth of God is. And sell not. It's really a, a, a simple expression, a fairly well-known one from there in chapter 20. But I hope you agree with me that that simple statement has a number of important implications Act accordingly. What's your situation? Have you bought into the truth of truth that Christ is the begotten Son, that He died on the cross and shed His blood there in order to make an atoning sacrifice for sins? Do you understand? He was buried three days later. He was resurrected. He's now at the right hand of God, uh, making intercession for those who will serve God faithfully through Him. Do you understand those things? And if you understand that truth, have you responded obediently? It's true that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, then it's necessary for you life and obedience. Hearing and believing, confessing your faith in Jesus. Why would you longer? If you're not a Christian, obey the gospel today. If you're ready, but you've slipped away. Remember we said, even after you It's possible to forfeit that, to give it up. If you've made that mistake and come back to the truth and, 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 and come back to faithfully serve and who's erred, come back in repentance, waking up and stand and sing.